This is Shout Podcast, the official health and well-being podcast from the Firefighters Charity. Hi, this is Kim and welcome to episode 10 of the Shout Podcast season 2. In this season, we've been focusing on health and well-being. Each episode's taken a close look at a specific topic or issue. We've heard from experts and beneficiaries who've been affected and supported by the charity. This time around, we're talking joints. We speak to the charity's wellness and behaviour change coach, Mike Lennon, about how to stay positive while dealing with pain, particularly in the run-up to surgery, and about how to get the best from your recovery afterwards. Next, we chat to beneficiary Keith Walkington, who's an operational watch manager with Humberside Fire and Rescue Service, about how he prepared for a hip replacement following years of suffering with osteoarthritis and how the charities helped him throughout his recovery since. Finally, we chat to exercise therapist Craig Williamson and physiotherapist Peter Raystrick about living with arthritis and the positive steps our beneficiaries can take to help them lead a healthier lifestyle. There's also a podcast plus with Sabrina Langley giving a mindfulness reading, but more on that later. So let's get episode 10 underway. And it's a pleasure to welcome the charity's wellness and behaviour change coach, Mike Lennon. So, Mike, we know that in the last 12 months, many people will have had surgery cancelled. And that's led to perhaps increased pain, problems with work, missing out on hobbies, what sort of advice can you give our beneficiaries to help them to stay positive? Yeah, it's been a really funny 12 to 18 months in that regard, hasn't it? And I think the first thing to say is that we just need to acknowledge how hard that can be. I think it could be really easy sometimes for people to give themselves such a hard time over things that aren't necessarily within their control. Uh, and that manifests itself in, in funny ways, you know, negative emotions like frustration and anger, disappointment at the surgery being cancelled. People may be living with pain and anxiety as a result, and that can impact on sleep and relationships. And they may feel a sense of helplessness and sadness at losing things that they've been able to do up to that point, like work and enjoying hobbies. Um, so I think it's really important just to acknowledge that and for people to give themselves a break and to understand that they're doing the best that they can in the first instance. Um, and then I think there's something around acknowledging that there are things that are not in their control and being able to focus on the things that they can control and what's helpful rather than what's unhelpful. I'm reminded actually of a, an anecdote from a few years ago. I was lucky enough to meet Steve Williams and James Cracknell who were members of the uh, gold-winning um, boat team um, in the Athens 2004 Olympics. And their catchphrase, uh, or catchphrases rather, for that Olympics were control what's in your boat and does it make the boat go faster? So don't concentrate on the things you can't control. And if it's not helpful, then don't do it. And I think there's something about that in respect of uh, beneficiaries who may be feeling uh, a loss of control at the moment if they're waiting for surgery that's been planned for a while and has been cancelled. Try to reclaim some of that control by expecting and planning for some of those setbacks. Now, I don't mean, you know, don't be optimistic. You don't catastrophize those things. But if you factor some of those things into your plans, then perhaps when they do turn up, you're more prepared for them and then there'll be less disappointment. So in terms of uh, what might be helpful then um, is being able to acknowledge and process any negative emotions that might be showing up. Uh, and a nice way of doing that is just taking moments to, to think about how you're feeling and to perhaps just write those down and process them through that way. And so does this positivity that we're building before we have surgery then help us after surgery? 
Absolutely. So there's lots of research out there that shows that for people who are more optimistic and have higher levels of positive emotion, they're more likely to leave hospital sooner once they've had the procedure, they're they're able to recover faster, they have less perceived post-surgical pain, they're able to participate in those activities that they always enjoy taking part in before their surgery needing to take place. And actually, if they're more optimistic and have more positive emotions, they're more likely, funnily enough, to receive more social support, which we also know increases levels of positive emotion because people that we love being around us is the best antidote to, to feeling low and having low mood. So absolutely, um, you know, we need to make sure that we go into these surgical procedures feeling as optimistic and positive as we can. Can you give us a few simple strategies to ensure that we've got the best possible recovery coming and we keep that positive mindset? Yeah, I think a really good one, if we think about optimism, and optimism is, is expecting that the best will happen, uh, you know, it's very simply. Uh, and a really nice way of being able to do that in the lead up to going into surgery, and I'm talking you know, maybe a couple of months beforehand to start to do this is to start to imagine your best possible future self after the surgery has taken place so there's a bit of visualization with this exercise um, and it just requires having a quiet moment to yourself and just really bringing into clear focus how you imagine your life to be at a certain time point after the surgery has taken place so it could be two or three months beyond the surgery and that the individual really takes the time to reflect to visualize and bring it into clear focus and to imagine the things that they'll be doing at that point in time after the surgery has taken place, the things that they'll be enjoying, the things that they are making plans for. So they're really starting to feel optimistic about that period of recovery before they've even had the surgery. And that will also then stimulate them to make plans, um, which will in turn ensure that the right things are in the right place at the right time to really help make sure that that surgery is as as, uh, effective and as successful as possible. So that's really one way of doing it. There is another way as well in terms of um, on the day of surgery, there is some really strong data out there that shows that an uplift in positive emotions on the day of surgery really has a positive impact on um, reducing stress, but also enhancing recovery beyond that surgery. And a nice easy way of doing that is just engaging in something that you really get pleasant feelings from, such as listening to a selection of your favourite music on the day of surgery and having that playlist to hand so you can listen to that and really get you into a positive mood. I'm not suggesting that people will be you know, um, jumping for joy on the day of surgery or anything like that, but certainly having pleasant feelings and, and fewer um, uh, feelings of, of fear and anxiety would, would be a really good thing. And just looking ahead to after surgery, perhaps some of the ways that the charity can help out, maybe a visit to one of the centres or some online help? Yeah, I think it's um, a good thing to um, arm yourself with with as as much of this in terms of planning for for visiting where you might sort of go to after surgery. I think that will also help in terms of if you were to do that beforehand, you know, knowing what to expect as well and how the charity can support you in that way and may even build into some of those optimistic feelings that you might have as a result. And also uh, a really nice exercise that people can do is something called the three good things exercise. So Uh, on a regular basis taking the opportunity to reflect on three good things that happened on that day regarding your recovery that you can just capture and appreciate and and that will help people to stay motivated and positive as well but certainly being in touch with the charity making sure that they're aware of what we can offer if they are going to visit a center uh, familiarize themselves with with that and uh, yeah we're here to help you're listening to shout podcast from the firefighters charity We've been chatting to beneficiary Keith Walkington, who's an operational watch manager with Humberside Fire and Rescue Service. 
Keith began suffering with osteoarthritis in his right hip joint a few years ago. When it began affecting his day-to-day work and life, he underwent a hip replacement and the charity supported him in his recovery afterwards. Here he explains some of the exercises he did, both before and after the op, to help build up his strength and how he's now aiming to become operational again before retirement. When did you first start struggling with osteoarthritis in your hip and how did that impact your day-to-day life? Probably about 10 years ago I had a first problem with the osteoarthritis in my hip. I uh, just suffered some flexibility problems, not a great deal of pain. I just found it more and more difficult to bend down, do some everyday tasks. But generally I just I just self-managed it and got through my workload and just carried on really. Well, I mean one or two people started to notice that I was acquiring a, a small limp which I didn't notice I had. But also just things like rolling up hose and, you know, generally doing things, bending down really became a bit of an issue for me. I know you first reached out to the charity around two years ago for support with your mobility and flexibility and you were offered a stay at Jubilee House, our centre in Cumbria. Can you describe the care that you received there? Yeah, it was at Jubilee House when you come for a week, you get a good assessment at the beginning and then one of the physios will tell you, you know, where your problems lie really because I think diagnosis is quite important. You don't really know what's hurting you or what to do about it. So your assessment's vital. And then you get a full programme of exercises and pull work and hydrotherapy pull work. And it just really targets and helps the areas that are causing you pain and uh, discomfort. So was the pain just located in your hip or were you finding there was an impact on other areas of your body? All your joints are related to all your body, aren't they? So when you've got a problem with your hip and you don't walk correctly, that can impact upon your knees, your ankles. And in my case, it was my back. And I, you know, I wasn't walking upright. I was walking, leaning to one side and I was limping. And that just caused me to cause a few problems around the rest of my body, really. You did then come to the decision to have a hip replacement in February this year. What was it that pushed you to finally have it done? There was a few factors made me think about getting my hip replacement done. One, I really wanted to try and make it towards retirement if I could first, rather than to uh, have a problem at work and have to go out ill health or anything like that. Uh, day-to-day impact on my life, the grandchildren, uh, it was getting more and more difficult to do the daily tasks at work and the time had come really just to have it, have it done. After you'd had the operation, were there some routines or exercises that you found were helpful for your recovery personally? Yes, when you first have the operation done for the first couple of days, it's really difficult. You really don't think you're going to be able to move that leg again, if I'm honest. But after a few days, you're, it, it frees up to get you out of bed really, really quickly the day after your operation. And then I came home after a couple of days running night in hospital two nights. I came home and then within three or four days, you're walking on sticks. And then you just go from strength to strength after that, really, because you just do your exercise, see what reaction you have for a couple of days and then just expand upon it the best you can. So I expanded into walking a little bit further and eventually getting on my bike and then eventually just getting down to one stick and getting to no stick. So you just progress slowly but very, very surely and you go very quick in the first six weeks towards your recovery. Was it during that initial recovery period that you reached out to the charity for a second time and how were you supported that time? After I had my operation, I rang the charity after about three or four days just to see if the charity could help me in my rehabilitation. And from week two, I believe, I think I was just getting video sessions from the firefighter charity, which was really, really good. Because just what it helps you to do is 
it gives you confidence and somebody tells you what your capabilities are and it gives you confidence to do a little bit more each day and each week and then later on it was arranged for me to come back to Jubilee House and have another full week rehabilitation again using the, the fitness room, the gym, the hydrotherapy and the swimming pool and walking and just having lectures and people giving you exercises to do and supervising you, make sure you do them correctly and really just it's a, it's a really really good week away because you don't have any distractions from home and you can concentrate on your rehabilitation it's a wonderful way to make a, a, a good stride in a short period of time you're listening to shout podcast from the firefighters charity so what do we need to know about arthritis exercise therapist craig williamson and physiotherapist peter raystrick discuss arthritis and how it can impact people in different ways and at different points in life they share positive steps you can take to help you lead a healthy lifestyle throughout. I think a good place to start, Peter, is if you could explain what is osteoarthritis. Osteoarthritis is it's basically where the cartilage in the joint, so the cartilage is the actual surface, sort of the, the load-bearing surface within the joints on the ends of the bones, um, and it's when that begins to break down and that causes the underlying bone to sort of get a little bit of change to it. When, when people are told that they've, they've been diagnosed with osteoarthritis, they think that it's something out of the ordinary and that it's, it's, it's just for them. But actually, it's, actually, it's a really normal part of the ageing aging process. I think when we suddenly find out that we've, we've gained changes on the inside, then it seems to sort of like cause, cause more problems. And I think thinking of these changes as being normal, and, it, and if you like, wrinkles on the inside is, is a much more helpful way of thinking of, of what the changes occurring with osteoarthritis are. There's a lot of common sort of myths and misconceptions around osteoarthritis. So could you just highlight what some of those are, Peter? I certainly can. I think, you know, there's certainly from, from I think, our experiences of talking to lots of people that suffer with osteoarthritis, some of the beliefs and, and information that they've perhaps been given isn't always that helpful in terms of what we want to get, what we want to get them to do. And I think sort of probably the most common ones are that when people are in pain, which, which often is one of the symptoms, you know, most commonly associated with arthritis is that if you've got pain, then you're causing more damage to that joint. And, and that's just not the case. You know, I think, again, people tend to think of osteoarthritis as, you know, it's, I think the, probably the most common name for it is people think of it as wear and tear. And again, this isn't particularly helpful because I think the tear part of, of that tends to suggest you know some sort of like really violent traumatic damage to an area and again that doesn't happen you know we're, we're trying to change the language of how we, we we describe it now and I think a much more helpful expression is wear and repair because that's exactly what happens you know yes there is that element of wear you know parts of your body are constantly being repaired renewed remodeled that's going on 24 7 the whole time so it's, it's a normal part of the process bone on bone is just not true you know like it's it's an absolute 100 percent myth you know like if we think about so for example in the knee joint any joint within the body is is almost like a sealed system 
All right, you have the bony joints and there's the ligaments and the muscles that all wrap around it. But encasing all of that sort of joint is a, is a, a sleeve, a connective tissue sleeve, if you like. And within that, you've got fluid, which we call the, the synovial fluid. So that creates this, this sealed hydraulic system. And anyone that's tried to squash a fluid will know that it's in, it's almost impossible to compress a fluid. And it's it's how we get a lot of machinery to work. So there is that that support from that fluid pressure is there all the time. You know, so so that you you physically don't get that that bone on bone that we like, you know, that we hear about so often. If we think about other sort of common things that that people believe about osteoarthritis. I think the opposite of exercise is that people think rest is good for it. Um, and in relative terms and for short periods of times, period of time, that is definitely true. Um, but actually in the long term, it actually creates more problems than it helps because um, if you rest for too long, what tends to happen is that, or you, you, you stop doing your usual activities is that you then start to struggle with with losing some of your condition so you you lose a bit of, of a muscle strength around a particular joint um, and you you also um, lose that ability to to sort of know what what's happening with your body um, and that in itself causes issues and, and and the other big effect that we see when people stop doing things is that the stiffness and the pain also goes up and we know this you know like again the research backs all of this up so exercise is definitely good rest relatively and for short periods as a way of sort of relieving acute flares is 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 useful but it's not something that we want to pursue longer term. And that's a, a big part of when people come to um, see us, so whether it's online or whether it's someone coming to visit us at the centres, um, is actually tailoring their exercise programme so it's individual to them. Um, so any exercise programme that we give someone, it's done at a level that um, is achievable but doesn't aggravate the symptoms of, of arthritis. So it's very individual, the exercise programmes that we give. And I think probably it's a good point to, to jump in there and mention sort of the common symptoms that we get with arthritis. Um, so the common, the most common ones that we see are obviously swelling around the joint, pain, be it sort of like that dull, deep ache that people often sort of tell us about, or sometimes they get that sort of that really occasional sort of like really sharp pain, um, particularly sort of when they're doing certain certain activities. Another common one that people, I would say, almost always talk about is that that grinding and that sort of cracking and what we like to call crepitus. Um, and that's where often people believe that that's the bone on bone situation. You know, it's these two hard, solid substance, solid bones pushing against each other. And actually, again, that's another myth is the noise that you get you know there's there is much debate about you know what what actually causes that most accept accepted sort of theories are that it's the release of tiny gas bubbles from the inside of the joint lining that makes the popping sound or sometimes the the, the, the tendons attached to the 
so the muscles around that joint can can cause sort of like snapping noises and cracking noises i guess that um that re-education is a really important part of the the treatment for someone um, who has osteoarthritis so again if someone does come to the center or uh, do on- online sessions with someone um, a big part of the treatment is actually that re-education around what's actually happening in the joint um, and that can change the way someone feels about sort of their plan going forward yeah no that's that's absolutely the case and it's again it's supported by a lot of the latest research around osteoarthritis as well you know They've they've been there's been an increasing move towards um, the use of sort of like twelve week sort of programs where they will where they will run a twice weekly exercise class which again would be tailored uh, to, to suit the individual but at the same time doing a little bit of what we're doing but in more detail um, educating people about what what arthritis is and and giving them a sort of a a toolbox, if you like, with tools that they can use themselves to help manage their condition. And then if someone was to um, experience a sort of flare up of their symptoms, so if they were possibly to overdo the activity and do too much too soon um, and get some sort of flare up, so it might be sort of an increase in pain, it might be um, some excessive swelling around their joint um how would you advise someone to manage a flare-up so you know the the first thing to sort of really consider is trying to sort of alleviate those those symptoms um and probably the most common common ways of doing that a lot of people will have been prescribed sort of analgesia of some form or anti-inflammatories and again you know that's that's one way you know pharmaceutically of actually getting those that that discomfort level down and other things that people find often find really helpful is heat particularly heat with arthritis uh, you know we would meet a lot of people who if they're in the midst of a flare around their knee or or their back or their hip that they would they would pop a hot water bottle around it or some sort of heat pack equally as as strange as it may sound sort of anecdotally i found a lot of people find cold can be quite helpful and and there's even people that like to do what we'd what we'd call contrast um, and they would use a combination of heat and cold one after the other and that sometimes alleviates some of the discomfort that they're getting and i would say probably the final one that we we see a lot of is the use of sort of like supports or compression sleeves obviously particularly around the knee um again i think it's i think it's that sort of that that added sort of sense of support from the sleeve rather than the physical support that that, that is is really beneficial and i think also it tends to keep a little bit of that warmth in the joint to help keep it moving a little bit better but together with again you know just modifying what you're doing you know like if you have to cut back on what you you would normally do just to allow those symptoms to settle that is ideal you know you know it's for in the short term the, the detrimental effect of that is is, is going to be negligible but if it allows the symptoms to settle and then you can gradually build back up to what you're doing, that's, that's the ideal approach. So as always, you can find out more about the topics we've discussed today on the Firefighters Charity website. Just visit firefighterscharity.org.uk forward slash shout podcast for lots of links to articles and information. 
You can make sure you don't miss any of the main podcast or Shout Podcast Plus episodes by subscribing via your usual platform. Talking of which, this time around, the Podcast Plus is with Sabrina Langley, who's giving a mindfulness now, if reading. if you can imagine, you are going to give these next few moments to yourself. No doorbells will ring, no phones will ring, and no one will call your name. You may hear noises or bangs. Just think of these as the outside world. So that's it. We've reached the end of season two of the Shout podcast. Thanks for being with us over the last 10 episodes. We've covered some enlightening subjects and met some incredible and really inspirational people along the way. I hope you've enjoyed it all as much as me. So until next time, take care and see you again soon. Shout podcast. Please subscribe and review us wherever you get your podcasts and check out firefighterscharity.org.uk to find out how the Firefighters Charity could support you. If you liked Shout Podcast, you're going to love My Firefighters Charity, the new social media well-being and fundraising app for the fire services community. Packed with great well-being content from the expert teams at the Firefighters Charity, you can connect with others, join groups, collaborate and have fun with your fire family friends across the UK. And you can get the advice and help you're after from the Firefighters Charity whenever you need it. Head to your app store, search for My Firefighters Charity and register for free today.